The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for the next level of leadership? It's going to be here before you know it. Today's leaders need the skills, connections, and savvy to become top professionals in their fields. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet people who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf, and I'm delighted to be recording live from the International Leadership Association Conference in Atlanta. I am the founder and CEO of Metcalf & Associates. I work with leaders and their organizations, identifying the trends that will most likely disrupt their businesses, and work with them to develop strategies and business and leadership practices that leverage those trends and create strategic advantage. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author of an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organizations. I'm also an adjunct faculty member with universities in the U.S. and Germany. We talk about the rate of change in our current world, and according to Ray Kurzweil, we anticipate that technology change in this century will be 20,000 times the rate of the last century. And what that really means for leaders is that we will have to metabolize these changes, identify which ones impact our industries, and create solutions that enable our businesses to to continue to thrive without being derailed. It also means that the complexity of these changes is continuing to increase. So our complexity as leaders needs to correspondingly increase. And that's really a lot of the impetus behind this work is helping leaders innovate how they lead or specifically change their business practices, their leadership practices, their leadership behaviors in a way that corresponds with the environmental changes that we're all facing such that their organizations will be better off with these changes rather than getting derailed. In addition to sharing models and our experiences, I invite you to listen for something from each of the presenters that you might want to implement in your own lives. I talk about leaders moving from command and control, but toward what? It's the mind of the scientist. As I am faced with these changes, How do I know what to do, how to do it, when to do it? And for most of us, we are creating the leading practices. We no longer have books to go to that define what is best. That's in our court. So how as a leader do I go from being a great student of the masters to becoming one of the masters? And I will be sharing information from some of those masters for you to leverage such that you become one of the masters. So I invite you to listen each week for something that you can implement in your own leadership and test it out. And I would love to hear back from you if you find something that was particularly useful. Either email me at info at metcalf-associates.com 
or visit our Facebook page, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I would love to share your successes and lessons learned with our listeners. So welcome, Cynthia Cherry. Please introduce our guests. And Cynthia is the CEO of the International Leadership Association. I'm delighted to be at the annual conference for 2016 in Atlanta. Well, Maureen, it's good to be here with you again and to have you at the 18th Annual Global Conference for the International Leadership Association. And um, I am delighted that we have with us two really esteemed colleagues in the ILA. One is um, Professor Gail Hickman, who um, was at Jepson School of Leadership for many years, is retired, and is just received this year at the ILA conference um, the ILA Lifetime Achievement Award for all of her phenomenal work in the field of leadership. Congratulations. Thank you. And then we also have Jorit Volkers, who is the Dean of Deloitte University and um, is also next year's conference chair, which is going to be in Brussels. And so we're very delighted that he's here. But the amazing thing is that how these two individuals met was through the ILA last year, and they co-keynoted for the conference around the intersection of theory and practice in the work that Gil does as a, as a theory-based um, perspective, mm-hmm. and then um, Jorit's work around practice and leadership. And so you're with Deloitte University? Yeah, okay. with Deloitte University EMEA, so I'm responsible for the whole EMEA region. So it'd be interesting to hear what Deloitte does as a consulting firm to invest in leadership development. Well, we are not only consulting, it's also audit, tax, and financial advisory, so it's a bit broader. Mm-hmm. But we came to the conclusion that the way people are trained on universities are not um, well enough for them to mm-hmm. work in our practices. Mm-hmm. So we started a whole program of developing trainings for the people who work for us mm-hmm. in all levels mm-hmm. um, to educate them about uh, business advisory, but special, especially about leadership. Okay. And we came to the conclusion that the leadership elements that we have in our trainings are not sufficient enough mm-hmm. and they are not equipping people for the jobs that they have to do. So, sorry, I'm just going to jump into this a little bit. I came out of Accenture or Anderson Consulting. Okay. So, um, we... I came in as an experienced hire, and we would go off to St. Charles, which is our university. How does this work at Deloitte? Because you've got new hires, experienced hires. Basically the same concept as you had with Accenture. Okay. Um, um, As you know, a lot of people from uh, from Anderson joined Deloitte, so it's... It's a bit of a (laughs) circular community. Exactly, exactly. But I'm not old Anderson. I'm old blue, to say so. Ah, okay. uh, so we, but we picked up the idea again. Uh, mm-hmm. We are now the only ones in the in in of the big four who is doing this. Oh really? Yeah. So what is the differentiator? You're choosing to invest in this. Well, um, does this mean we should all switch to Deloitte? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> we think it's uh, if we want to be uh, the world's leading firm, uh-huh. um, then you need to invest a lot in your people. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. this is what we are doing, investing in our people, in their development. And yes, from when they enter our um, uh, our, our, uh, our company until they are retired. We, we are also training people just before retirement. Oh, really? So what's the business case for that? 
because um, they will be our ambassadors after mm -hmm. retirement and most of them retire so around the 60s and you know a lot of people we have a very good example <laughs> here <laughs> who keep working after their retirement and uh, basically they are in, 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 in perhaps the most brilliant phase of their life mm -hmm. because they yeah. have so much experience and that's what we want to use also for our own people but also from, for society. So they are potentially hiring you, the, these people who retire and go on to other could be, could be, okay. could be, yeah. Okay, or they're contributing to society. In exactly, other ways. because okay. that is one of uh, for us. It's also very important that we give something back to society. Mm -hmm. Okay, got it. Of course, we we make profit. That's what we are for. But <laughs> um, we also need to give something back. Okay, great. Thank you. And Gil, tell us a little bit about your background. Lifetime Achievement Award, massive accomplishment. Yes, that's kind of overwhelming. <laughs> but um, my background started in public administration, but uh, I have a, a emphasis on organizations and organizational theory and behavior. So when I got into uh, the study of leadership, and I started at the Jepson School of Leadership Studies at University of Richmond when the school opened. So I was an inaugural faculty member, and we developed the curriculum from the ground up. And the two areas that I developed especially were the areas of leading organizations and leading change. Mm -hmm. And because there was so little material to mm -hmm. teach from in those days, because we started in 92, oh, wow. I developed a leading organization's uh, a textbook with perspectives for a new era. So I tried to slant it toward uh, what we were, how we would lead organizations into the future, which leans more away from the great man theory and more mm -hmm. toward shared and collective leadership. And so um, I developed a framework around which to, to look at how one would lead in, in this new era. And it has a lot of shared leadership. Uh, it, it, it functions on the principle that leaders and followers lead the organization together. Mm -hmm. And I actually don't use the word follower. I use the word participant because okay. people in this process lead together toward these new futures, mm -hmm. um, especially because, as our uh, speaker said today, the world is so complex that mm -hmm. one person really doesn't have the answers. The in the leadership role in these mm -hmm. in today, you need people who know how to gather great minds together to solve difficult problems, and that's kind of how the, the text is arranged. So it's now in its third edition. Wow. And so York and I, last year, had a conversation around uh, our concepts of leadership and how mm -hmm. we teach leadership, and we are having a wonderful time informing each other from, <laughs> from both perspectives. I am a, uh, a practitioner as well, because I, I'm a kind of odd academic. I started as a practitioner mm -hmm. in the public sector, so I had... Uh, experience in uh, city government, state government, I had been a dean, so I'm, I always integrated theory and practice in my own work, mm -hmm. and I think that's one of the reasons that you and I work well together, because I think we both do that. 
So say a little bit more about how you both do that, because, you know, as you pointed out, how we teach leadership and how we lead is evolving day by day. Right. Well, for instance, what we are looking at is, um, in Deloitte, we developed a leadership framework. Okay. Which was done uh, several years ago. Mm -hmm. And basically, if you look to the wording, it's a very good framework. But we came to the conclusion that a framework alone Mm -hmm. is not enough to really educate people in leadership. And okay. that is leadership from a small team. We heard today mm -hmm. that the smallest unit is around 10, 15 people okay. until leading the global firm. So if you would apply only that framework, it, it's not enough anymore. Mm -hmm. As we just said, everything is evolving and also that needs to evolve. So what I started to do is reading Gil's book. Um, which is, by the way, one of the best books on leadership because it covers not one theory on leadership, it covers basically all the theories that there are at this moment on leadership. Oh, interesting. Okay. And what we are now currently doing, and that's a project where Gil is also involved, is that we are looking at um, what kind of leadership do we need mm -hmm. to educate people in, mm -hmm. on which level. And we now came to the conclusion that there are some forms or some theories on leadership mm -hmm. that you need at all levels. Okay. So, for instance, it was, um, we, today we heard in the lecture that listening mm -hmm. is a very, that is something you have to do at all levels. Okay. But there are also things, for instance, crisis management, mm -hmm. which, of course, you can, in a, a team you can have a crisis, mm -hmm. but if you have a, a lead, a big organization, mm -hmm. You need that you skill. Need that skill. And mm -hmm. what we call now the step-ups, that is, at a certain level, you need to be mm -hmm. educated, mm -hmm. not only in the basic skills, but also in the, in the step-ups. So this is where I would have a competency model or something like that yeah. for each level within exactly. an organization. Exactly. And uh, where we then look at is, if I'm, for instance, a manager, senior manager, director of a partner, what are the circumstances in which... The basics that you need to know, how to evolve, and what needs to be taught to people. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So, what we are not doing is one framework. No, mm -hmm. We are looking at the complete set that's out there, and that Gil described in her book. And we are now currently figure, figuring out what do we need. What is what is really applicant for the situation in which our people work. So can you give some examples of where you have landed on things that are absolutely required? And at which levels? You, you use crisis management as an example. That is the step up, mm -hmm. but for instance, listening, but also there is uh, quite some theory now, but it's not yet finished, about e-leadership. Mm -hmm. And uh, in our organization, a lot of teams never meet each other. Right. They work yeah. globally. Mm -hmm. So what do you need to uh, have and teach people on e-leadership to make um, virtual teams successful, mm -hmm. operating mm -hmm. all over the globe? So that is one of the things we are currently very much looking at. And that's another fundamental, so listening, e-leadership, and then we are looking at what layers do we need to have mm -hmm. more to put into the, the leadership education that we do for our people. So the e-leadership idea is interesting. Again, having come out of large consulting and working on projects still that are global, what kind of skills do you teach people because it's such a different environment in which to lead than showing up at the office and bumping into people, you know, at the coffee machine or... Well, at this moment in time, we don't know yet. 
Okay. Because we are working on it. Ah. It is, and this is one of a project that we started last year, working together to see where we are going to end. So it's really so, something of practice and theory working so together. So this is where theory and practice will come together. Um, mm -hmm. So in my book, I have um, articles about leadership, and I am happy to know a number of people who do research in that area. Mm -hmm. So after meeting with Jörg at his facility, and he uh, and I could see what a vital part of his work environment that was, I contacted a researcher in e-leadership, a oh, really top-notch okay. researcher, and um, he will be working with Deloitte to look at their teams, to do research on their teams to see what is working well and what's not working well. Oh, wow. And so we're going to take that a bit further. We're going to combine mm -hmm. uh, theorists and practitioners and will identify some of those very important issues that make these e-teams and e-leadership work well. So it, this is a, so exciting for me because this is what I had always hoped that we could do, have theorists and practitioners work together to solve mm -hmm. some problems or add to the knowledge of mm -hmm. problems or issues mm -hmm. that are important. And this is often not done. I mean, Usually academics live in their world and they do some consulting mm -hmm. and then practitioners live in their world, but these worlds don't always come together so nicely. So this is very exciting for us. Well, and as a listener to your keynote last year, coming out of large consulting, now teaching in a university, it's been one of my concerns mm -hmm. it is having worked with then smaller consulting consultants and some of the things they put forward is just, are, they're not accurate. Exactly. And clients not being experts in the theory pay consultants in some cases to deliver stuff that I think is of poor quality and can damage their organizations. And so, and the other is the rate of change. How do we know how to upgrade our leadership algorithms in a way that's research-based because the research is is just keeping pace with, or, or the world changes and then we research it. Exactly. So we need something to research so that we are creating the solutions as we go. And that is one of the things we, is also the basis of our thinking, that mm -hmm. we are not going to fix things, mm -hmm. but as time changes, mm -hmm. um, environments change, we want to have an agile system mm -hmm. which we can easily adapt mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. the changing generations that come in, mm -hmm. but also the changing circumstances that we work in. So being from both worlds, I always teach that way. Mm -hmm. And um, I teach a course, or used to teach a course, on theories and models of leadership. And the way I taught that course is you would think, well, this is just going to be all academic theory based. Mm -hmm. But what I would do is I would recruit organizations in the community to have my students come in and do a leadership assessment. And, in, and so what they would do is get real world experience interviewing people in the, the um, community organizations or uh, business organizations. And I would have them use the theories that they were learning to mm -hmm. apply to what they saw in, in this environment. And it was just absolutely amazing what came out of this because 
students then didn't think of theories as these abstract mm-hmm. concepts, mm-hmm. but they could see that some of these worked beautifully and could help mm-hmm. organizations uh, get to the next level, and some theories didn't apply at all. And they, mm-hmm. they could really see the difference. So at the end of this, they would deliver uh, a leadership assessment to this organization in writing and uh, you know orally, and these organizations would just be so excited and take this material back mm-hmm. and start reframing their whole uh, process where they had mm-hmm. problems. And I think this is the way you get students engaged in seeing how those mm-hmm. two worlds come together. And the thing that sounds brilliant about that is often students come out of school having memorized a bunch of theories. Exactly. And they think, I'm going to go in and apply this. And then they're perplexed when it doesn't look like what I read in the book. And they're also terribly disheartened when nobody wants to do what they've suggested that they just learned in the book. (laughs) And so we demoralize. Well, we learn that uh, when they go into their internship after they've taken this course, Mm -hmm. that it it's extremely valuable for them because then they understand how do I assess the situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have some tools to know how to help improve. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the students just find this overwhelmingly valuable. And so they they can contribute when they do internships and and they're not just gophers in the Mm -hmm. the process. And when they go into organizations afterwards, we have 13 students at Deloitte former students at Deloitte, uh, when they go into these organizations afterwards, they are ready to really help. They, they start ready. Well, which addresses the issue that you're, you talked about earlier, that a lot of students come out of university and then they need to get trained to actually do a job. Exactly, yeah. Uh, and that's not a problem. Because uh, we don't expect universities to uh, to educate people, especially for our firm. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not the idea. Right. No. So it's very normal that you need to do mm-hmm. extra things mm-hmm. with your with the people who are coming. And yet, it sounds like with the partnership of academics and and large companies, not always small companies, there is a way for students to come out more well prepared. Yes. I mean, absolutely. we can't prepare them technically for the job, of mm-hmm. course, mm-hmm. but we can prepare them to understand what does leadership really mean in mm-hmm. an organization and what kinds of things have you learned about leadership that you can, on the ground, start to apply working in a team. Mm-hmm. They do a lot of work in teams mm-hmm. uh, anyway in our program, but they also go out and do these works in teams in organizations. So it, they, I think they start at a, at a more uh, developed level than some students right out of school. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. 
Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. So this is Maureen back with your and Gil. You mentioned something about agility and speed of change. So what are you looking at with regard to what you're changing with regard to how people lead or how you're teaching differently because of the rate of change? Well, because of the rate of change, um, if you keep your programs, your development programs, the same way, you will fail ultimately. Yeah. Um, so what we need to do is permanently look at the programs that we run mm-hmm. and refresh them or redesign them or scrap mm-hmm. them uh, mm-hmm. because they are not up to speed anymore mm-hmm. given the circumstances in the marketplace but also the generations coming in the change. How often do you need to do that? We are now currently refreshing our programs every two years, a minor refresh mm-hmm. and every six years a complete refresh. Oh wow, okay. But that me might even that six year might even go back to four years. Okay, as as, as the as world the accelerates, world accelerates uh, faster than mm-hmm. it does today. Gil, you mentioned something about the great man theory, yes. and I have been in an, an interesting debate with a colleague. So I would love to hear your opinion on what it is, because you mentioned it, and I'm not sure all of our listeners know the term and pros and cons of it. So when People first started to study leadership, which really goes back to the classics and Mm -hmm. um, Plato and Aristotle and all of those uh, uh, great thinkers. They looked at the individual leader and what the individual leader could offer. And so the studies were around their characteristics, their leadership style, and um, that was important, but they were never able to come up with a, a list of characteristics that all leaders should have. Mm-hmm. And so then leadership studies started to look at leadership from other perspectives uh, and started to, to look at things like the context of leadership, mm-hmm. uh, the participants in the process, which are leaders and, and participants or followers. Mm-hmm. Um, and. One of the things 
that I said yesterday is that I was influenced by the civil rights leadership mm-hmm. and the fact that it was not a leadership of the great man as people think. They think, well, Martin Luther King, he was charismatic, he was the, mm-hmm. the leader. But growing up in Birmingham, Alabama, it was a very collective process. Mm-hmm. Many people don't even know that Martin Luther King was recruited to the leadership by a group of women really? who were already leading. Uh, and and they they wanted someone who spoke well and mm-hmm. had, and could represent the cause. But um, people came to the leadership of of the civil rights movement because they believed in a common purpose. So my uh, work has been more around people bringing their themselves to the work mm-hmm. because they truly believe in the work, mm-hmm. and and that can be in both. Um, the private sector and in the social movement mm-hmm, sector. Mm-hmm. It's not just something um, that you see in, in civil rights. But when I saw this kind of leadership, I thought there's something else ex- further mm-hmm. than just one person yeah. ca- making all the calls and all the decisions. If you use the collective intelligence and, and uh, commitment of a group, mm-hmm. you have something larger. And you have something on which to base uh, continuous change because you have people in the group who have even more knowledge about some aspects than you do, mm-hmm. and so to 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 bring to organize and develop an environment where this mm-hmm. collective uh, capability can come mm-hmm. together is, I think, one of the important parts about leading in a very uh, changing world mm-hmm. because, because that way you have a larger pool. Mm-hmm. To, to use to, to help solve big problems. So in an environment where we're all dealing with more complex problems, mm-hmm. th- there isn't a great man who can solve all of it. No. Or, <laughs> or a woman. woman. <laughs> <laughs> you solve all of it. Important in that, one, in that respect is also that a great man is sometimes a great man given the circumstances mm-hmm. and the time where he lives in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Martin Luther King was a very good example, but also in, if you looked at that from the European context, mm-hmm. of course, Churchill. Yes. Churchill was one of the biggest leaders in wartime, mm-hmm. but as soon as the war was over, he was denounced from his prime minister because mm-hmm. he was not a good leader in peacetime. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> you have to be very careful with great leaders mm-hmm. because great leaders also have very often the dark side of leadership mm-hmm. or the wicked leadership, as we call it. And I think if we would only focus or if we would focus on great men leading our uh, society, I think it would not be a good thing. I I think this is a really important point to reiterate because I I have seen so often people will say and pick, you know, whether it's Gandhi or Patton, I mean, at both ends of the spectrum, right? I want to be like that. Uh (laughs) And clearly in their contexts, what they did worked, but I wouldn't want to take all of the attributes of their behavior exactly. on either end and assume that I could plug them into any environment in which I currently work. Right. I, I, and yeah. it, <clears throat> excuse me, it doesn't mean that leaders don't matter. They do matter. Mm-hmm. But they matter as a part of the collective. Mm-hmm. And each part has a role. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
and pe different people play that role at different points in time. Mm -hmm. So leaders do matter, but they, they aren't the end all and be all of leadership. Leadership is a process of mm -hmm. bringing of leaders and followers working together to make something a common purpose happen. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think that's important for people to keep in, in mind, especially in this day and time. And just thinking of the problems that we face in organizations, back to that idea that no individual can solve it. They're too complex, they're too big, and they're too interconnected. It's not like my company can solve a problem. I'm connected to thousands of other um, members of the ecosystem. And every time I move in one direction, I'm in impacting others in my ecosystem. And absent kind of a, the word that comes to mind, and this is terrible, is the Macarena. We all, yeah. we're all yeah. <laughs> sorry, dancing one way and the next, and you've got one person in the line that goes the wrong way, right. and you bump into people. So, not that that's an image any of us want. <laughs> but even as a professor and when I have been in positional leadership roles, mm -hmm. I've seen myself as the convener of the process of bringing together the right people, put, setting up the right situation mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. which either learning can occur in my classroom or that uh, problem solving or reaching a goal can occur. Mm -hmm. And it, it's a very different process from feeling I am just the end all and be all in charge, but mm -hmm. I am in charge of getting work done, making sure that the work happens and bringing mm -hmm. together the right people to do it. I got a very sweet uh, letter or uh, from one of my alums the other day. They put together a book for me for messages mm -hmm. from my students. And one of them said, when I first came into your classroom, you told me, that we were all going to do the work, that we were all going to do part of the teaching, mm -hmm. part of the learning. Mm. And he said, at first I thought that was a cop-out. And he said, <laughs> then when we got into it, I realized that I learned so much more by engaging in the process than I would have if you had just lectured to me. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of see leadership <clears throat> in organizations in that way, that there aren't, it's not that I want to, say I, I'm going to give up authority to do what I've been asked to do, but I want to use that authority to make sure that the work gets done by all the minds that need to contribute to it. I think that's a critical point. A couple of things you said, one, I'm a convener, mm -hmm. so I still need to know. If, it, I often talk about leader as the mind of the scientist, so I still have a hypothesis. I'm still helping design the experiments. And so you're bringing the right people together in the right way, especially with students. Mm -hmm. And yet creating the context in which they learn isn't abdicating. Right. It's building their skills. And I think a lot of leaders are still stuck in that uh, mindset that we grew up with. And for those of us over a certain age, we're unlearning some things, right, that that my view when I entered the workforce was the boss was in charge and they were supposed to know what to do. And now bosses are often, they're still in charge and they still get fired, but they don't, <laughs> <laughs> but they don't always have the answer. We all participate in that process. Exactly. 
And I think one of the, because that's what we had our talks this morning about, mm -hmm. that authority is something that is there. Mm -hmm. you, need it, mm -hmm. you need it also yeah. in a complex yeah. society. You need people who take decisions. Mm -hmm. But you also need to be aware of the fact that the leaders don't know everything. So they also mm -hmm. need to be able to say, well, I don't know this. And mm -hmm. we have to solve this together. Um, and what we, uh, what then, because the biggest mistake that, that leaders can make is overpromise, because they mm -hmm. they can promise things that they mm -hmm. cannot achieve. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then what we heard today was that the social contract that you then have is mm -hmm. broken, and that has serious consequences for the leader, but also for the followers. Well, and and that's I want to uh, delve into that further. The idea of the social contract being broken. Because our social contract is changing as we continue, as the world changes. So I'm thinking of the idea that any one of us could live to be 100, and yet people retire, and they assume that the, the money they've put into the system will support them, and yet my longevity changing impacts the social contract that I should retire at X age, but that contract was negotiated when I was a little kid. Mm -hmm. And now I think you are talking about a problem that nobody in this world at this moment mm -hmm. has a real answer. Mm -hmm. And every leader who now states that he can solve this problem is lying <laughs> to the people. <laughs> so one of our presidential candidates may be yeah, off that's more than, uh, We are from Europe, that is quite <laughs> you different. You don't care about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we care a lot. We, we are looking very much forward to what is going to happen here. Yeah. Well, and you have similar issues. We have every country has people aging well, now. and the, 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 the issues of retirement are the same issues everywhere mm -hmm. in the world, mm -hmm. especially in the Western world. Yeah. And especially with the interest rates being so low, mm -hmm. all the, the money that you save is now not giving interest anymore. Yeah. Well, so now the, the problem is huge and we mm -hmm. didn't solve it and nobody can solve it at this moment. And all of the great things that are happening in medicine that will extend our lives also create a different yes. challenge for those of well, us again. One of the solutions could be that we stop that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I think it will not be popular. <laughs> Please don't do that. <laughs> yeah, so, so bright minds, I'm sure, can come to a different solution. <laughs> yes. I hope so. Absolutely. Yeah. And yet the point of social contracts being renegotiated those things that were true when I came out of college and had an assumption about what retirement looked like, those are not even fathomable right now. And the idea that we need to continue to upgrade our algorithm again and how we think about it and expect that contract to change. But the truth is changing because the context is constantly mm -hmm. changing. Mm -hmm. and that speed is going so fast. Mm -hmm. It's... it's um, yeah, agility is, I think, one of the most important things. Also in leadership, mm -hmm. agility and adaptability to new situations. So how do and, you and teach I, that? Not to give away trade secrets for Deloitte. Uh, well, but to be honest, I don't know yet. That okay. Is, that is a question we are, of course, raising. Mm -hmm. How you teach people to be agile? We know that people from out of their selves are agile. Because mm -hmm. people can adapt very easy to different situations. But mm -hmm. to get that really into learning schemes, that will be quite a challenge. And organizations. And organizations. And one of the people I interview regularly is a brain scientist. And he talks about the importance of, you know, we build these neural pathways and they kind of keep us alive. 
right? So I have a routine of getting dressed when I get up in the morning. And this means I don't walk out of the house with no clothes on, right? <laughs> I mean, there are good reasons why our brains are built the way they are. And yet they're almost built in opposition to agility. Yep. And uh, it was also said today, our brains are um, formed a million years ago. Mm-hmm. And they now have to operate in an environment that is changing so fast while mm-hmm. our brains are still somewhere in the mm-hmm. prehistorics. So do you guys address um, the neurology and neurobiology of how do we teach leaders? Because it seems like there's a behavior that is also reinforced by my neural pathways. And as a leadership person, it's something I talk about, but I'm not as informed as I'd like to be. And that counts for me also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people are beginning to study that in leadership studies. Mm-hmm. Out. There are, are articles on evolutionary biology and leadership, mm-hmm. uh, and there are people studying the brain and mm-hmm. leadership. And mm-hmm. That's a new, a very new field, yeah. but it's mm-hmm. very important to to all the things that you talked about. The fact that people are living longer. Our brains are wired certain ways, but how do you get people oriented to wanting to understand new things that mm-hmm. are coming about? And, you know, in academia, I think you're kind of wired to wanting to learn about new things mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, <laughs> In practice, not always, <laughs> right? Learning gets in the way of delivering. Yeah, exactly. Building hours and such. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I know I was saying, saying recently that uh, I'm doing some research on leaders in personal crisis. That what do you do if the leader has a personal crisis? How does that leader deal with himself or herself mm-hmm. and how does the leader deal with the, the um, participants and team mm-hmm. and um, in order to do that I had to learn some new software mm. and I said well <laughs> this is really building my capacity because you yeah. have to be willing to say okay I don't know anything about this but mm-hmm. there's somebody out there that can help me learn mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. And, and we got a recent graduate from the university who had learned this software to teach me how mm-hmm. to use this software. So this is what you have to be willing to have younger generation yeah, people yeah. teach you how to use the things that they grew up with. And, and you mm-hmm. have to be very open to that. Well, and again, that's a, a paradigm change from, again, my parents who were supposed to know everything. Exactly. And now you've just won a Lifetime Achievement Award, right? And you're getting help. All the time. Continuing to learn and unlearn. Exactly, because uh, I started doing qualitative research, like interviewing and things like that, uh, when that wasn't a popular way to research. Mm -hmm. But since I first began that, you now have software that you can input your qualitative research to Mm -hmm. and really get quantitative information from it. So I had Mm -hmm. to learn... even though I've been doing this kind of work a long time, I had to learn how to do that now using the sophisticated software that we have. So that's the kind of learning that we have to be willing to do uh, as things change. And I, I find it exciting, but a lot of people, of course, find it mm-hmm. intimidating. So this is, this is the image of a person that just retired a few years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and she's still learning. And I think, exactly. And I think that's the same what we are doing mm-hmm. in the trainings. Mm-hmm. You never retire from this. Mm-hmm. It will be 
permanently changing and you have to at some point in time you need to decide okay this is what I'm taking into and the rest mm -hmm. we wait for new mm -hmm. uh, research what will, what will be done but we never retire well and many of us won't get to right or yeah. in a traditional <laughs> sense and I can't imagine retiring moving to Florida and playing cards all day I mean that was Me something either. that was yeah. prescribed <laughs> but the good thing is you get to invent your your next life I mean yeah. you can decide that I've had it and I'm, I'm going to rest and be in the Sun or you can decide that those research projects that you didn't get to do mm -hmm. while you were working, you're going yeah. to do now. And that's kind of what I've decided. So as we come to a close, I would love to hear from both of you. I mean, you guys are kind of global rock stars in this field, <laughs> <laughs> right? So we've got listeners who don't get to hang out with you in person. What do you want people to take away from the, the how did you get here? What did you do to become a lifetime achievement person? And you are, what did you do to lead, lead EMEA um, Deloitte University? And these are both massive accomplishments. And, and so what's different between you and other folks who haven't been able to make this level of success? It's a really hard question to answer, but... Uh, yeah, and all a I short answer. <laughs> <laughs> all I can say is I believe strongly in standing on the shoulders of others and learning from them mm -hmm. and then learning from uh, not only the people who came before me but the people who are younger than I am mm -hmm. because you have so much to learn from both sides of that mm -hmm. and also never stop learning I mean mm -hmm. even though technology might look frightening mm -hmm. somebody can break it down to you you know mm -hmm. so if mm -hmm. it if there are frightening new uh, technologies or changes developing, dive into it. Mm -hmm. Don't mm -hmm. be afraid. Even if you, it, it, what's the worst thing that can happen? You make mistakes, so you can correct them. Well, and with that scientific mindset, it's just an experiment, right? Yeah, I, exactly. It's not a failure. It's just, it's it just may be a poorly designed experiment in my case. And but. so now life <laughs> has really become an experiment because there's no one way to do it. There's no one way to retire. There's no one way to have your career. I did my career, uh, academics would say I did my career backwards. I became mm -hmm. a practitioner and then an academic. Oh, actually, mm -hmm. I did them simultaneously mm -hmm. because while I was a practitioner, I was getting my PhD. And when I finished my PhD, I was recruited to academia. So flexibility, as much as you can develop it, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, is, is really critical. Cool. Thank you. And you're it. Um, be curious. Be open-minded. Set goals. But then, if you are in the neighborhood of your goals, set your next goals. Mm -hmm. um, if you are disappointed, go on. Get, get over it. <laughs> Never get over it. And then, uh, don't look back in regret, but look mm -hmm. back in what you learned from what you did wrong. Mm -hmm. And I think if you have that mentality, you will come a long way. At least that is what, what happened to me. Thank you both. It's such a pleasure to get to sit here with you in person and have this conversation. Thank, Thank you. you.
So I'd like to thank our two speakers and move into a bit of a summary of what I heard from them and also talk about the idea of being a pracademic. Pracademic is melding of the word practical and academic, and it involves resolution to challenges with practical actions that are matched with correct academic theory. So let's give an example. John was the president of a third-party distribution company that provided retail products and services to business. He'd been very effective over the course of his 40 years. Career. He was keen at spotting industry trends and shifting the organization to take advantage of changes he saw on the horizon. His skills created a financially strong organization over decades. And yet, like many of us, or all of us, he had blind spots in how he treated his people and his perception of his own ability as a leader. He saw himself as the quintessential successful leader, and as the world changed, he continued to lead from the stance of command and control, which was what made him successful over this number of decades. Over the last few years of his career, he fired a highly successful CIO, and because of that firing, most of the team left. And this CIO was highly research-based, which was a conflict with the president, and therefore the president discounted the CIO's contribution as being one of not practical. In one instance, the CIO had made a change to technology, hardware, and processes that allowed the organization to avoid a multi-day outage because of a technology issue and someone stealing their cooling equipment, of all things. So this solution that the CIO brought to the organization helped them avoid a multi-day outage and allowed the organization to function and serve their clients in a way that they could not possibly have done using the prior approach. Unfortunately, his the CIO's approach to technology was viewed as gold plating or in spending too much money on cool stuff rather than absolutely business critical decisions. So that experience really shaped one example of why I believed that even well-seasoned leaders needed to also rely on academics. So full disclosure, I do consider myself a pracademic. One of the differentiators of my company, Metcalf and Associates, is staying connected with the research community and being involved in that research and then translating the research that I find to be most valuable into practical and cost-effective solutions. I do this because I have found that this research has helped me solve some of my biggest professional problems and open doors that wouldn't have been available to me without that research. So I want to make a clarification. When we talk about research, often people think of academic institutions and universities. I'm really thinking that research gets done, yes, in academic settings, but it's also done by businesses, consulting firms, think tanks and nonprofits. And as we heard in the interview, we're also seeing an increase of focus of partnerships across organizations and sectors where academics and practitioners partner to solve some of the bigger challenges we're seeing in our world. And the International Leadership Association creates a forum that really supports and encourages this collaboration and actually allows practitioners to identify problems and academics to connect with them and connect the 
research they're doing. So another reason that I moved in this direction of being a pracademic was an early experience I had working with a consulting colleague. He was highly trusted by his clients and heavily experienced, good intuition, and yet I saw an instance where he made a recommendation to a client that to me seemed ineffective. And I know that we've all run into those situations where we question what someone around us does. And the first thing I should have been asking is, who am I to ask that question because I have less experience? And so I look to the research to really understand my concerns before I approached him. And what ended up being true was his work was contrary to the research. In some cases, work being contrary to theory is fine and it reflects his brilliance in tailoring something. In this case, in fact, his contrary to research was truly an ineffective solution as time proved and again raise the question for me if I want to produce the best value for my clients how do I test my thinking against what researchers are doing and in fact integrate their solutions into my offering to, to provide my clients the most valuable set of solutions so here are the top three reasons for me to marry this research and practice both being foundational. So well-researched and proven models help me to identify possible risks because for any of us, even working across consulting firms, we've run into a limited number of opportunities to implement a solution. And for most of us, we are trying to find the most cost-effective, least invasive solution to solve an immediate problem. We're not necessarily looking for the most robust solution. So uh, reason number one is identifying possible risks and reason number two is creating repeatable solutions across a broad range of environments and then reason number three is coming up with the most robust complete solution and then tailoring it to each of our situations so that I'm not implementing a gold-plated solution where in fact I need something very simple. So still the value of the practitioner is foundational to, to tailoring research and identifying where it fits and at what scale. So as a practitioner I identify the problems and the solution that is most practical and cost-effective to implement. I generally don't don't have the time to look at the range of options and broad solution sets and for that reason I fall into or have developed the practice of really drawing heavily on research and, and these frameworks and models created by pracademics provide the mechanism to deconstruct complex challenges and examine them in a time-effective manner. The theorists in many cases do the heavy lifting to determine which variables matter and they evaluate and identify risks and build out more repeatable complex solutions that are most likely to be effective. Because skilled leaders are busy leading their organizations, in many instances they're not able to do the work of a pracademic, that they're different jobs in essence. So as a pure organizational leader, I am best partnered with someone who is falls more in the bucket of pracademic so that I as the leader spend as little time staying current on the research because that doesn't make my organization more effective. What makes the organization more effective is for me as the leader to focus on the work 
and pull in someone who is more versed in theory on a point solution basis when I need them. So if your organization has a problem where you could partner with a researcher who would be able to identify a more robust solution, please do consider partnering to solve your problems and contribute to the larger body of research because we all benefit from that. As leaders, we face a world that's becoming ever more complex by the day. And I found one of my success accelerators is building the ability to contribute to the research in a way that differentiates my organization because it allows me to adopt new and practical research more quickly than my competitors. While contributing to research allows me to solve problems that many of my competitors also benefit from, I'm positioning myself to benefit more quickly and create that competitive advantage. And part of that advantage comes from our culture that is committed to research. So while everyone benefits, the the business case for me is to benefit more quickly. And so my question to you is, how does your organization bring together problems, practitioners, and academics or researchers to create the most robust solutions and minimize the implementation risks? So thank you very much for listening to this show. We are innovative leaders driving thriving organizations. And I would love to get your feedback. Please email me at info at metcalf-associates.com or join our Facebook page, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Either way, I would love to hear your feedback. And let me know as you listen to these interviews and try some of the suggestions we've made, what's worked for you and what hasn't. I would love to shape our shows to be more helpful for our listeners. Thank you again. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.